And everyone said amen, huh? <clears throat> wow, thank you, choir, orchestra, and Doug. My goodness, beautiful. Well, you know, our theme this year is why does it matter? And so we are making our way through answering that question. And each season of the year in 2023, we will isolate one facet of that conversation. And so today we'll continue the conversation we began in early January. And so I've entitled the message today, Soul Life. And the text is found in John 15. You remember I, I shared with you that John is going to be our guide this year, primarily on Sunday mornings. We'll be reading through John, studying John together on Wednesdays at the pastor's Bible study. We're studying Genesis and we're connecting those two books together because um, they belong together. John, I mean, the book of Genesis is about creation and how this whole story begins and unfolds in front of us. And then John is the story of recreation as he makes that connection uh, as he opens his gospel. But today we find ourselves on a very famous page. It'll be familiar to you. It's the 15th page of John. So I'm going to ask you to look at John 15. And uh, as we think about the invitation of Jesus and the declaration of Jesus in this text. So look at it with me. And you know it's our custom at our church to stand and honor the Lord Jesus when the gospel's read. So I invite you to stand with me as we hear this reading from the gospel where Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You're already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples." Thank you. you Maybe seated. <clears throat> well, as I said, we've had this conversation about why does it matter, and for the winter, why does anything matter? Well, I've been thinking about that a lot, and obviously, I've just returned from Rome, and uh, you know, when I began studying church history many years ago, trying to come to an understanding of of just what happened historically. When you look at the history of Christianity and you place it in the context of just the history of the world, not, not just Western civilization, is certainly connected to Western civilization. But certainly when you go to Rome, you, you have to ask yourself the question, how did, how did all this happen? And what made Christianity so unique in the ancient world but really and truly, you and I live in the modern world. And so here's the question I want you to think about with me as we begin our conversation this morning. What, what does Christianity have to uniquely offer? You know, there are 
numerous world religions. As a matter of fact, I've just come from a very religious place that dates all the way back into antiquity. If you know anything about the history of Rome, it was a, it was a city filled with temples. But it wasn't just a city filled with temples. It was an empire filled with temples. Both the Greeks and the Romans, the Egyptians, the Assyrians, the ancient people in the world were very religious people. In fact, their whole lives were built around their religions and their commitments. Uh, a Roman army would never even thinking about entering into a battle without having some kind of religious ritual and consultation. It was just woven into the fabric of the culture. You, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't dare have any kind of national celebration or any kind of public type of celebration in the Roman or the Greek world without acknowledging the gods and having some kind of connection to it all. So how in the world did this story of one man who lived not in Rome, who didn't live in Athens, but he actually lived in Israel. This, this one man, and not just this one man, but a Jew at that. So this one Jewish man who lived a very brief period of time and was actually put to death at the hands of the strongest empire in the world. How, how did that one man lead a movement that has literally enveloped the world in a way that no other world religion has ever done. If you think about it, most every other world religion has some sense of being held culturally captive. Not Christianity. If you want to study the history of Islam, it has a certain cultural captivity to it. Now, it has gone beyond those borders, but still predominantly to this day. It still has a certain cultural connotation to it. If you want to talk about Hinduism, one of the largest religions in the world, some 900 million Hindus in India alone. But think about that. Think about the, the cultural connotation of Hinduism. If you want to talk about Buddhism or Confuciusism, if you want to refer to that as a religion, think about the cultural connotations that surround all these world religions. But not, think about Judaism. Judaism not only has a cultural connotation, it actually has an ethnic connotation to it. Well, think about Christianity. Christianity is distinguished from all of that. It is, it's not held captive culturally. It's the one world religion that actually has transcended every single human-made barrier. Do you know that Christianity is the only religion that is actually found in every nation in the world? Now, why is that? How did that happen? What, what is it about Christianity? Like I said, it hinges really on this one person who lives a short life in somewhat of the backwaters of the Roman Empire, if you will, and he never leads any kind of army. You can't compare him to Pompey or, or uh, Constantine or, or Octavian or all these, these great leaders, military leaders who conquered kingdoms. He, he, he's in a certainly a, a completely different realm. You can't even compare him to other religious teachers because so many of those religious teachers are merely referred to as prophets. So what, what is it about Christianity 
Well, I, I want you and I to think about that because we live in a culture that needs to know the unique message and the unique nature of Christianity because there's nothing else like it. So I don't, I don't have time today to, to exhaustively address it, but I do want to just hit some highlights and then I want to look at this text because it's connected to the uniqueness of Christianity. So if you can just think about that with me. Um, how, how in the world did it spread? Think about even in the Roman Empire. What, what does Christianity offer that's so unique? Well, let me just give you a couple things real quickly. It's monotheistic, strictly monotheistic. And yet in its monotheism, there is complexity. That is that is something that is remarkable and it is proven to be very attractional everywhere it's ever been proclaimed. In other words, Christians believe in one God and yet he has manifested himself in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. He's not three gods, he is one God. And yet there's complexity in his very personhood. And so we are strictly monotheists. Now think about the ancient world that was polytheist. They were gods for everything. My goodness, pick something. And if, you, and if there wasn't one, they would just make an altar to the unknown one, just in case they missed somebody. And then enter this message. Well, no, that's not really the truth. We, we believe in just one God, and we believe he's the creator of all of this, and yet he lives eternally in relationship with himself in complexity that's beyond our comprehension. But it's not just monotheism, the, the immortality of the soul, this whole idea of eternal life is just woven into the very DNA of the Christian message. Because you and I recognize as Christians how valuable this world is, and yet at the same time, we don't have some type of abstract idea about eternity. We have something that we believe is real. We believe that because of that, because of your connection to something that's eternal, you can actually have a life on this earth that's meaningful and purposeful and significant and connected to something that is much grander than you would ever come up with on your own. And you can experience the reality and the beauty of it. It gives you a certain identity when you think about eternity. It, gives, it, it builds hope into our lives. It casts our vision beyond just this world. It helps us to reframe the conversation about suffering and death and poverty and brokenness because we realize that as real as this world is, there is one to come that's even more real, if you will. But another uniqueness about Christianity, y'all, I don't, I don't know whether any other way to put it so bluntly. Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. Nobody else has Jesus. We have Jesus. We don't just have a teacher. All world religions have a teacher. We don't, we don't just have a prophet. World religions have prophetic pronouncements. Praise God that we have prophets. But that's not all we have. We actually have the King of kings and the Lord of all lords. Amen. That's who we have. We have Jesus. <laughs> I mean, come on, y'all. Jesus has changed everything. He is God in the flesh. He's, he's the God-man. He's fully man and fully God all at the same time. And he was perfect. He gave us this incredible example. His words are powerful. His, his teachings are life-giving his example is inspirational at every turn. There literally is no one else like Jesus. And so 
He gives us a, a message of truth, a message of righteousness. Jesus doesn't just make you feel good about yourself. You can find that anywhere. He didn't come to make you feel better about yourself. He came to show you the truth. But somehow or another, Jesus does that in such a way that when you find that truth, you don't just feel better about yourself, you feel better about everything. It just changes everything. And it all focuses on him. He offers us forgiveness and grace and love and holiness. And then, my goodness, we have the New Testament. Think about that. Think about the beauty of the New Testament. Think about the life that is given to us through the word of God. This message of hope. How God inspired these men to collect the teachings of Jesus. The life of Jesus. And those teachings of his earliest followers. And how in that inspired scripture has been translated over and over and over. I mean, right now, you're sitting here reading it in English, aren't you? Almost all of you. And think about how life-giving it is to you. How the, how the New Testament has literally changed the world. And it's ours. It's the unique Christian message. No other world religion has the New Testament. We do. It's the message of hope, of life, of truth. And then we have the Holy Spirit. I mean, God has, God has given us himself and he's placed the Holy Spirit in us as a down payment, the Bible says, as earnest money, if you will, to seal the deal. The Spirit of God, the power of God is at work in us because we're Christians. And look at what he's given us. He's given us this, the church. Think about it. I've been all over the world. I have found churches all over the world. The people of God, they look different. They have different practices. Remember, Christianity is not culturally captive. It's not how it works. I've, I've stood around fires in Africa and I've watched Christians dance and sing and play drums and engage in worship that sometimes feels, can feel very foreign to me. I've sat in highly liturgical worship services in places all across Europe and I've felt the presence of God. In other words, it's the, the, the church is as diverse as the people of God. Aren't you glad? There's so many ways to do it. There's freedom in it. And you know, if you can't belong anywhere else in this society, you can belong in the church. It doesn't matter who you are. Think about the ancient world. A woman, no standing in the ancient world. A slave, there was no standing in the ancient world. But all of a sudden when the church began to grow, it didn't matter. It didn't matter whether you were slave or free, Jew or Gentile, man or a woman, none of that mattered anymore. All of a sudden, the ground at the foot of the cross of Jesus is level and everybody's welcome. And the church is a family. It's where we find encouragement, exhortation, ability to worship God and find life and encouragement and blessing and examples and strength and support. There's nothing else like the church. Are y'all still with me? Because there's so much more to say. I'm, I'm, I'm going to stop right there. Okay, that, What's unique about us? At least that. There's more, but at least that. So think about my society. What does my society need? Everything I just mentioned. Everything I just mentioned. I could take this right here anywhere in the world, and everybody across the world needs what I just mentioned, and nobody has it but us. 
That's what's so unique about who we are as the people of God. So with that said, let's look at this text. Here's what Jesus is going to challenge us to do in this text. I, I'm, I'm not going to cover everything in this text. There's so much in this text, just in these, just in these eight verses. But we begin by acknowledging the reality of the soul. Jesus had a way of just speaking the truth in such a way that you could understand it. And so you start right here in, in John 15, and Jesus connects us to something that we all possess. The fact is, you and I, as human beings, we have been created by God uniquely in his image. We're the only part of creation that shares that. And so what does that mean? Well, it means a lot. But one of the things that it means is that there's something about you that is eternal. And you're self-aware. You're a responsible moral agent. Unlike any other creature in the universe. Every single human being you meet is incredible. Filled with amazing potential. To live out and bear the image of God in a way that the rest of creation cannot do. And so Jesus is acknowledging that, recognizing we're human beings. Jesus in this text is talking about our souls, about feeding our souls, being connected with our souls. See that our soul, that's that part of you that integrates everything about you, your will and your, your mind and, and your body, all kind of integrated together through your soul. It's what makes you whole. It's what makes you distinct. It's that, it's that deepest part of you. If, if you want to go to the deepest part of a person, then you whisper into their soul. And, and so there are times when, when even secular people use that word. Sometimes you'll read that when a terrible tragedy happens, they'll say, and 25 souls were lost. You ever read that? We use that all the time. It's in our vernacular. It's almost like that's the way to put it. You, you, if you want to talk about a human being, they didn't just lose their bodies. That's not what happened. Something happened. And so they talk about how well they lost this many souls. Well, our soul, that's that part of us that integrates everything about us. It's that, that animating presence as a human being that makes us unique and different. And it's why we need to be healthy in our souls. Because if you're healthy in your soul, then that affects every single thing about you. Remember what Jesus said one time? He said, how sad would it be how sad would it be to gain the whole world and lose what? And lose that part of you that's the most important part of you. How, how could it be that you could spend all of your life and all of your energy and all of your time and all of your investments in trying to gain the whole world and not pay attention to the single most important thing about you, the thing that makes you you, your soul. And so, First thing we have to do is just acknowledge the reality of that's what John 15 is about. It's about our souls, okay? So then Jesus offers an invitation in this text, and it's connected to his declaration, and that is to engage in a personal relationship with our Creator. You cannot have a healthy soul without that. If you want to have a healthy soul that's alive, that truly animates every part of you and integrates you most fully into the reality God's designed you for, then you have to be in a personal relationship with your creator. 
and it takes place through your soul. And that's what Jesus offers us. But don't miss the, the declaration. I want you to notice what, look, look at verse one. If you still have your Bibles, look at verse one. Do, do you know the imagery of the vine? It's very powerful in the Old Testament. If, if you go back and look at your Old Testament, there are several places. For example, Psalm 80, verse eight. The psalmist says, you brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the rivers. You'll find that imagery often in your Old Testament where God's people are described as this massive vine and they are to be life-giving to the world. They're planted by the Lord. God brought them out of Egypt and he planted them like a vine in the Holy Land. And they are the people that everybody wants to be connected to because it is through them, this kingdom of priests, this holy nation, that you could really find life and redemption and hope. And now look what Jesus says. Jesus stands and looks at these Jews who knew full well the imagery of the vine in their legacy and their history and their faith. And Jesus said, you know, the reality is I'm the true vine. I'm the real Israel. I'm the fulfillment of all, all, all of this was a glimpse. It was real, but it was just pointing towards something. It was to pointing toward a greater day of fulfillment. And I want you to know that day of fulfillment has come. God is still the gardener, but I'm the vine now and I'm the true vine. And so if you want to find life, then you've got to be connected to me. And so then he says, now abide in me, he says. I want you to come to know me and let me abide and remain in you. And so Jesus is issuing a personal invitation. So this means that you and I cannot find health for our souls until we enter into a relationship with God personally through his son, Jesus. You talk about a unique message for Christians. We share that with our world. You don't get this by being good. You don't get this by making donations to the Salvation Army. You don't get this by dropping something off at Mission Arlington when you're getting rid of stuff that you don't want. I'm not talking about y'all, but y'all know what I mean. You know what I'm saying? You know what I mean. You have this, you have this thing there. You know what I need to, and I need to, and absolutely, and all those things are good. Aren't we glad we do all those things? But that's not, that's not how your soul gets healthy. Those are signs that your soul is healthy. That's not how you get it, though. You don't get it by doing good. You don't accomplish something and one day stand before God and say, voila, here it all is. What does the Bible say about your righteousness? It's, it's, like the, it's like the stuff you wipe sores of a leper with. That's what it is. And you, you throw it out and burn it. No, that's not how this works. We don't bring all, we don't, we don't strut into the kingdom of God. You have to be born again into the kingdom of God like a little baby. You gotta humble yourself. You gotta recognize that without Jesus and his death on the cross and the hope of the resurrection and his forgiveness and his grace, then your soul will never be healthy. So the, the declaration is, I'm the true vine. The invitation is, now join your life to mine and you'll experience all of this. And so the message we have is a message that's personal. Then once you get it, man, once you get it, once, once you have this personal relationship, then this text, John 15, is about cultivating this personal relationship. 
Now it needs to grow. Now it, it, you need to take some time with it. You need to, you need to let it simmer a little bit. You, you gotta let some of this sink in. It doesn't just happen. You know what I mean? Kind of like when we're making Alabama sweet tea at our house, we don't just wave the tea bag over the water. We actually put the tea bags down in the water. And we boil that water and we let it seep and stew. You wouldn't dare drink it that day. Why would you drink it that day? You gotta let it, you gotta let it just soak in. Fill it with sugar. Why would you add sugar later? What is wrong with you people? Put sugar in it. So it can just saturate the whole thing. So when you, when you drink it, it's just absolute beautiful sweetness. Well, you know what? You, you want to take some time with this right here. You, you can't just meander your way through the Christian life and act like you've got it going on. That's not how it works. I've got to change. But you see, I live in a world that teaches me something else. As a Christian, I'm constantly swimming upstream because here's what I'm taught in my world. The, my, the, the, the youth in my world, this next worship service will be filled with high school kids and college kids. You know what they're being taught? Same thing you're being taught. Trust your own instincts. You, you, know, you know best. You know what you need. Do what feels good to you. Figure out what your truth is. Just, just do what feels right. Trust your own judgment. You, you, you need your own truth. You've got to figure this out for yourself. That's the way of our society. That's the way of our world. And what I want you to know is every one, all of that leads to a dead end. It will not work. It has never worked. Because your mind is clouded by sinfulness. You can't help yourself. Your judgment is warped because we're all sinners. So here's what Jesus says. He says, look, I want you to accept me, and then when you accept me, I want you to let me in, and then when you let me in, and I live this life with you, I'm going to change you. Amen. And so, reading the word of God. Why do we do these daily Bible readings? I have people sometimes say, you know, I'm doing my own reading plan, I'm not doing the one you have. No, you're in my church, do my reading plan. Do you think I care? I just want you reading the Bible. Read the Bible, pick a plan. I'm suggesting one. Find your own. Just read the word of God for yourself because the word of God has a way of shaping me, confronting me, giving me life. I can't tell you how many times I've been convicted. Happened to me this very week. Reading the scripture and saying, mm, I, need, I need to address that right there. I'm reminded again from God. This is God's word. Praying, fellowshipping with God. Seeking the guidance of the Spirit, not trusting my own ingenuity. I know better. I know what my proclivities are. Whose way do we follow? We talk about it all the time. We follow the Jesus way. We're looking for the guidance of the Spirit. We worship together as the people of God so we can learn more about what it means to follow Him. So I can be encouraged and blessed. I can offer up praises and thanksgiving and I can find myself in the presence of God in a way that I can't do on my own. I need the people of God. I fast, I pray, I seek community with God's people. I listen, and guess what's happening to me? God is using all of that to form me, to, to shape me, to conform me out of my own image into the image of his son so that I can bear his image better. And I want you to notice what Jesus says, something really stark in this text. Jesus says, you know, I want you to, I want you to remain in me, but look at verse five. He says, apart from me, you think you're something. 
You think you're doing something, but apart from me, you can do nothing. In other words, apart from Jesus, when you're living your own way, that it's only going to amount to whatever you can come up with. But if you'll live in him and abide in him and walk with him and let him abide in you and teach you and shape you, you can get connected to something that's powerful and it'll last forever. And lives will be changed. And people will be blessed and encouraged because of you. And then guess what happens? Here's the beautiful part of it. Then you get to experience the productive life. This only available through Christ. I love that imagery. Jesus says, if you'll, if you'll do this, if you'll abide in me, you'll produce fruit. Much fruit. Don't, don't you want to be that person? The fruitful one? Don't, don't you want to be that productive person that the things that are alive in you matter? And I want you to notice what Jesus says about it. He says, it's, it, it, look, at, look at verse eight. He says, it's, when you live this way, you experience the fruit. Well, this is to my Father's glory, which is the very reason you've been designed in the first place. In other words, Jesus says, you want to live into your purpose? Do this. Abide in me. Walk with me. Connect yourself to me. Let the Spirit now guide you, direct you. Let me teach you how to do this. And then you'll glorify God. That's why we designed you in the first place. And you'll be my disciples. Wow, what a, what a great word, bearing fruit. Well, think about the fruit of God in my life. What is it? Well, Paul says it's things like love and joy, and peace and kindness and forbearance and goodness and gentleness and self-control. So let's think about that. I want you to think about your life right now. Just you. If you assessed your life, is that the fruit being produced in your life? Love and joy and peace and kindness and gentleness and goodness and forbearance, patience, self-control. Does that describe your office where you work? If you had to describe your work environment, would you say, yeah, you know, my, my workplace is filled with love and joy and peace and gentleness and kindness and forbearance. Does that describe your neighborhood? Do you feel like that describes our world? When we look at our world, you say, man, I'm so proud of this world. I look at this world, man, it's full of peace and love and joy and gentleness. And guess where you get it? Abiding in Christ, it doesn't come naturally. It just doesn't. In fact, everything in you works against it. And that's why this is so important, to stay connected to Jesus, because this is what Jesus is going to do to you. He's going to change you. And, and you, know, you think about even just a couple of those words. I mean, what, what, what does kindness mean? Well, kindness means to just have a generous temperament. That's what the Spirit of God will produce in you if you'll remain in Christ. You'll have this generous temperament. Goodness. What does goodness mean? Well, it's a kindness temperament on display. That's what it is. It means that your character all of a sudden just shines through. And there's power in kindness and goodness. You know, NPR has a, NPR radio has a project called StoryCorps. I don't know if y'all have heard it or not, but they play it on the radio sometimes. Sometimes they publish a story. Sometimes they tell the story on the radio. 
Well, a while back, they told the story of Julio Diaz. He's a 31-year-old social worker from the Bronx. And every night, he has a regular routine in the evening. He ends his, his work. It's an hour-long commute home to his apartment. And so he stops on the train one stop early because he goes to the same restaurant and eats every night during the work week. And he's cultivated a family. He lives by himself, so he's cultivated this family. Well, one night, he steps off the number six train. He's gonna go to this diner, and a young teenage boy jumps out with a knife and says, give me all your money. And so Julio kind of looks at him, and he says, okay. And so he takes his wallet out, and he hands it to him. It's a cold night. And the boy starts backing away from him, and Julio says, you know, wait a minute, I'm just looking at you. He said, I tell you what, you look cold. Are you going to be out here all night? And the young man said, well, I was planning on it. He said, well, here, let me tell you what, you, you look cold. Take this coat. If you're going to be out here, you might, if you're going to work out, I work inside. If you're going to work outside, you might as well have my coat. Takes his coat off, hands it to him. Then he says, are you hungry? And the boy said, well, yeah, matter of fact, I am standing there holding a knife. And he said, well, I tell you what, I go to the same diner every night. They, they know me, and I'm sure they wouldn't mind fixing you some. Why don't we go there and eat together? Let me get to know you a little bit. <laughs> the young teenager goes, oh, okay. Well, they go sit down. Well, the next thing you know, Julio comes in. Well, they all greet him, ask him about his day. You know, it's just a little family feel. And this boy's just watching the whole time. And he says, man, I, I don't get it. These, these people are just so nice. He said, well, they're nice people. So the waitress brings the check, and Julio says, you know, if you give me my money back, I'd buy you dinner. But, I mean, <laughs> took all my money. And Julio said the guy reached out of his pocket and just slid his billfold silently across the thing. He said he got it out and paid for the meal. And he said, um, why don't you give me that knife? And he said the boy just pulled that knife out and slid it across the table. And the boy said, I don't get it. I've never... I've never encountered anything like this. Well, you know what it is? It's kindness and goodness. And you know what it'll do? It'll change the world. It's part of the fruit of the Spirit. I love those kind of stories because sometimes we think that the only way you change the world is on this grand scale. You gotta be Constantine and take over the world. How many of them have there been in history? Handful. Most people are like us. We're just Julio Diaz is going to work every day. Encountering people along the way. And that's where the Spirit of God, that's where the fruit of the Spirit makes a difference. In fact, when I read John 15, I can't help myself. Y'all won't be surprised by this. I think of Psalm 1. Deeply rooted. I got a relationship with Jesus. I'm being formed. I'm being shaped. I'm strong. I'm bearing fruit. And it's blessing other people. Because remember, blessed people, bless people. You know what it also reminds me of? Every year I go to Rome, I always sit in the Basilica of San Clemente, which is on the road on San Giovanni, takes you all the way up to St. John Lateran, but it's a church built in the 1100s. If you've ever been to Rome, you know they don't build the cathedral churches with the flying buttresses and the stained glass windows. They build basilicas. It's a long hall with a dome and an apse decorated. I always think about it when I sit there about what I want and how I want to live my life and how I want my world to experience what God offers us. Because in, the, in that apse, there's a cross and some mosaic tile and 
Jesus is on that cross. It's a Catholic church. So, But then surrounding it is the tree of life. And the message is, if you come to know Jesus, you'll experience the tree of life. When we were renovating this sanctuary, I was sitting there, and I told Cindy, I said, when I get home, we're going to have that in our church. And that's what this is. This stained glass window is a little different. It's not a mosaic. But I want you to notice, what's right in the heart of this, of this stained glass is a cross. And the message is, that's the only answer for you. You've got to enter into a personal relationship with Jesus. But if you'll do that, I want you to notice the vine growing around that cross, emerging from it, producing fruit. See, that's John 15. It's Psalm 1. And your life, once you have the cross at the very center of your life, then all of a sudden you start to grow and you're healthy and you produce fruit. You know why? I want you to notice what's on the top of that cross because you're following the king, see? And look at the life that's in the middle of it, the power, the light of the gospel, the explosive nature of the Holy Spirit displayed artistically for you. Every Sunday morning when you walk in this room, John 15 is right there in front of you. I want to invite you to that life. Find Jesus. Give your life to him. Let him develop the productive, beautiful life. He's the true vine. And after all, you're serving the king of kings. And when you do that, your life matters. May it be so. Let's pray together. <clears throat> well, Lord, we, we are so grateful for what you've done for us, the, the, the fact that you've sent your son, and the Lord Jesus has made these bold declarations he is the true vine. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the resurrection and the life. And it's in him that we found our hope, and peace, and joy, and life. Man, we're grateful for it. Lord, our prayer today is that we as a church will recognize it and celebrate it, but also communicate it because we live in a world that needs it just as badly as we do. So I want to thank you for not just the declaration, but the invitation <laughs> to follow Jesus personally. And so my prayer right now is, Lord, for those who may not have ever done it, that today would be that day, maybe in this room, maybe joining us online, that today would be the day to accept that invitation and say yes to Jesus. And for those who've already done that, that maybe today's a day of commitment to say, yes, I want to cultivate this life more diligently, more faithfully, and experience the beauty and the richness of it more powerfully than ever. So Lord, decisions that are made today, I ask that they will impact eternity. That's our prayer today, and may it give you glory in Jesus' name, amen.